We get to do baby dedication this morning. It's not really a baby. Isaiah is one years old, and actually is one years old today. So this is his birthday. So if you guys want to come on up, and I'll introduce, there's, there's four generations here, so hold on. We want to help up. Um, this is Betty. That's, we're going all the way up to the top. In her, in, AKA Granny. Because she likes being called Granny. I'm not being disrespectful, I promise. <laughs> and this is, if you can believe it, this is Grandma Amber. And this is Mom Isabella. And then Isaiah. I mean, what a great pl- um, privilege we have this morning is to dedicate Isaiah. I'm going to read a couple scriptures. The first one I'm going to read is Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, God, no, excuse me, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be in your hearts. Impress them um, on your child, Isaiah. Um, Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the, the road and when you lie down and when you get up. And then Psalm um, 127.3 says, Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward um, from him. So this is the gift. Um, and, and during dedication, it's not a, after today, he's not going to be saved. It's not a salvation thing. This is just a promise that they're going to raise Isaiah in a Christian home. And hopefully, our prayer is, is that he follows Jesus and loves Jesus like um, his family does. And it's just what a great pleasure it is to do that and then come alongside of them as a church and um, personally with um, Pastor Richie and I. So Pastor Richie is going to take over the next. Yeah, we, uh, we take this um, serious, but not in a somber kind of way. Uh, if you're familiar with the scriptures, it says that uh, when you become a believer, you are baptized, you're placed into the body of Christ, right? That's what the church is. And along that, that illustration, it says we are all members of the body of Christ, and one member can't say, I don't need you. And specifically in the area of raising kids, especially in this generation, uh, you know, um, it is a group effort. Amen? It is the church. Uh, and, you know, we manifest that here with children's dedication and then kingdom kids and youth ministry all the way through. Uh, it is a big we. And I really want to encourage you. Uh, sometimes the way we do church in the United States, you know, we have all these wonderful ministries, and so the kids will go off to Kingdom Kids, and that's for the Kingdom Kids staff, and, you know, we all kind of compartmentalize, when the truth is we are the body of Christ, and the mere fact that we're getting to do this as a church family, even if you're joining us here at home, it matters. It matters. Uh, the kids that come here, you know what? They're not just here with their parents. They're watching you. They're watching you. And the fact that there are this many adults that would want to gather at church and love on the kids and be concerned about them and smile, you know what? That's making a lasting impression on the next generation. And so uh, as a church family, we have a tradition here where uh, we kind of do this together. So as a church family, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to make a couple commitments. It's first uh, for Isaiah's family, because uh, as Pastor Tyler met with you and shared with you, uh, this is really a commitment of this family to raise Isaiah uh, in a way that ultimately we would celebrate him coming to know Jesus. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, family, family, right? So do you, family, commit by God's grace in the power of the Holy Spirit and in partnership with the church to raise Isaiah in the training and instruction of the Lord with the desire that he will trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? If so, say, we do. Amen. All right. And now for you, church family. Do you commit by God's help to be faithful in your calling as members of the body of Christ, to help Isaiah's family be faithful to God, and to help teach and train Isaiah in the ways of the Lord with the desire that he will trust Jesus Christ as his Savior and Lord? If you, church family, accept this privilege and responsibility, respond by saying, we do. We do. Amen. See, you're not alone. You're not alone. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. For the privilege we have as a church family to participate in this very significant day in the life of Isaiah and his family. Father, you say that we are fearfully and wonderfully made all the way back to the time that you knit us together in the womb and we celebrate Isaiah's life. Lord, and we count it a great privilege as a church to come alongside this family. And so collectively this morning, we pray for them 
We pray for your protection over them. We pray for wisdom, patience, strength. We pray for uh, financial and material resources and provision, uh, Father, everything that they would need. And then, Father, most importantly, we pray that one day we would celebrate Isaiah's salvation as he is influenced in this home and even in this church to come to love Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And so, Father, give us wisdom as a church family to come alongside to pray for Isaiah and his family, to even provide material needs as necessary as they raise him. So, Father, collectively, we say we love you, we thank you for Isaiah, and we commit him and dedicate him to you in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. So, announcement-wise today, uh, our first announcement is actually a video. So, here we go. There is an epidemic sweeping across our nation's churches. That is the shrinking population of their volunteers. Alarming, to say the least. To investigate the impact, we set up our cameras, removed all the volunteers, and followed a man we'll call Pete as he attended a local worship service without any volunteers. It started out like any other Sunday. Pete arrived five minutes late, as he always does. He assumed a greeter would open the door. He assumed wrong. Have you ever had church coffee that's been sitting around for a week? Well, Pete has. Deciding life was about more than just coffee, Pete finally answered the call to the mission field. But there was nobody picking up on the other end. To further complicate matters, Pete had to stoop down and get his own bulletin. He even had to hold and comfort a tiny human that he didn't understand. In fact, Pete didn't understand any of it. So, how can we as a church body keep this from happening? It seems there's a very simple fix. It takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. So won't you do it for your church? Do it for yourself. Wait! God bless him. Volunteer for Pete's sake. <laughs> for Pete's sake. Huh? So, uh, obviously lighthearted, uh, but true, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, just being what Richie talked about uh, with this child dedication, we are a family. That's who we are. That's what we do here. We are God's family, and he's called us to be here physically on this campus, and to do this, to do this well, to do this in a way that is honoring to God, and in a way that it serves every single person sitting in this room. It takes all of us, you know, and so seriously, if you are currently volunteering, which so many of you do. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And if you aren't volunteering, even if you're brand new, we would love to have you just help out a little bit. I mean, you saw some uh, humorous ways that you could do it. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed at the, the mission booth, did you see where they were going? Yeah, you know, so <laughs> I'm head of missions. So uh, if you're interested in missions, let me know. And I'm working, I'm working, I, I I duly noted, you know, so we're kind of thinking about that. So, no, seriously, with kids, with, uh, you know, uh, refreshments, with cleaning, with um, young people, with missions, all sorts of things to do. So please take that seriously. You can, you know, find out in the bulletin, talk to any of the elders, talk to anybody who is a current volunteer. Well, who heads your thing up so you would know who to talk to and that kind of stuff. So please uh, give that some consideration. Just want to mention uh, Thelma's memorial is coming up. It's going to be on May 28th at 4 p.m. Um, you know, most everybody in this room knew Thelma and loved Thelma. And so we really encourage you to come again as a family, celebrate her life and the fact that she is in the best place ever right now. So, um, And lastly, uh, uh, many of you may know that there were 19 of us that went to Mexico this last week. Uh, we went down on Sunday, we built a home on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, we had a number of really cool opportunities to just serve in the Ensenada community as well. Um, uh, Thursday, Friday, we built a second home 
Um, we uh, actually finished early, the earliest, uh, at least the, the uh, YWAM staffer that was with us said he had never seen a house built as fast as the second house that we built. Uh, we were done by lunch on day two, and again then had some opportunities in the afternoon to go uh, take all the gift bags that many of you had contributed to and uh, give them at a woman's shelter that shelters women and children who are just in need of that type of services and had a wonderful trip. Um, it was just blessed in every way. A couple of three weeks from now, we'll give you a lot more information about it. But I wanted to say thank you. And the other thing I want to mention is that there were three churches that were represented, ourselves, the Baptist Church, our friends down the street, and the Orchard in Virginia. And this has never happened before. We uh, raised, between the three churches, quite a bit more money than we needed for the two homes. And so praise the Lord for that. That is, um, So we'll have a down payment towards the next time that we go. That money will just stay on, on record you know, and help us already towards our goal next time. So thank you for that. Um, so if you would just pray with me, uh, Richie's going to come up and teach us. So, Lord, uh, thank you for uh, this family. Lord, thank you for the privilege of coming together, uh, not, not just on Sundays, Lord, but all during the week to serve you, to love you, to uh, walk this walk of faith together. Uh, so, Lord, right now, we want to hear your word. Lord, every one of us who are sitting here just we, we offer you our hearts, we offer you our minds, we offer you our ears to be open, to hear truth, to have that truth change us and impact our lives. So would you just give Richie the words that you have put in his heart and in his mind to deliver to us today. So, amen. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Well, good morning. We are going to uh, continue through Philippians chapter 3, and we've been in it for quite a while. If you don't know, it's a letter Actually, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. So the audience, which is always important to know when you're uh, studying and going through the Bible, is, you know, what is this? Well, it's a letter, and it's the Apostle Paul speaking to believers, and, and that's important to know. Okay, and we are, uh, we're in chapter 3 of uh, Philippians, and, and uh, last Sunday, we saw something really radical happen in the life of the Apostle Paul, and he shares it. It's, it was really his testimony uh, about salvation. And if you were here, he was really challenged uh, by meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus with everything he knew growing up, everything he had devoted his life to being wrong. And what did he do with that? And, and how did he process that, right? And, and we talked about that in, in our own walk and in our own uh, maybe understanding of faith and how do you come to faith that... At the core, perhaps we struggle with this idea of being wrong, because I'm guessing nobody here or at home likes to be wrong. Uh, and, but in this case, if you think about it, if you're going to be wrong about something and then get it right, it, it should be about salvation, amen? So, so praise God for the Apostle Paul's testimony that despite being really directly confronted at the core of his being, core of his identity, that he put his faith in Christ. And he was saved by, by faith, right, in Jesus. And so I want to read our, our, our passage from last week because it will launch us into this week. Philippians 3, starting in the second half of verse 4, it says, this is the Apostle Paul. It says, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, okay, talking about the legalists, the Judaizers who said that, you know, you had to have faith plus works, right? I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And we saw last Sunday that this was the Apostle Paul listing his spiritual credentials, his resume, right? He was valedictorian, Heisman Trophy winner, right? Nobel Peace Laureate. He was the man, right? Did everything right, perfect under the law, and yet, he meets Jesus, finds out he's completely wrong because Jesus says, you're persecuting me. He had thought he was on team Jesus, only to find out that he was on anti-Jesus, right? So he's confronted. And in verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And so he has this, it's a spiritual accounting illustration where, you know, all of his credentials, everything he had done under the law, Hebrew of Hebrews, his pedigree and his performance, he had under the profit or the gain column, he comes to understand that 
You're not saved by any of that. That all goes to the lost column, and only Jesus is in the gain column. Amen? And the good news is, that's us. The good news is, for those of you, maybe, who are still trying to earn your way, be good enough to somehow merit salvation, the good news we saw last Sunday, and it still applies today, is that the same gift of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, is yours for the taking this morning. Amen? Okay, so some of you might need to do some spiritual accounting. Because some of you still might have some lingering things in your profit that you think still sort of merits you a little bit of a gold star or a brownie point. Okay? And you've got to come to the place where there's nothing there that you can add on the profit or gain column. It's all got to go over to the other side. And the only, the only way to celebrate the joy of salvation is to put Jesus in the gain column. Amen? That's liberating. How many of you just celebrate that? Right? Not only are you saved by grace through faith, here's the thing. You don't even have to work hard to keep it. Imagine that. Right? We believe that there is security and salvation. You don't have to work to keep it. Okay? Because imagine if that was the burden. Imagine how much fear you would be under. How would you never, how would you ever know if you constantly had to keep score? Well, I praise God that you're justified by faith. Remember justification? It's a legal declaration from God the judge, putting on the judge hat. Justification, you're saved, you're justified by faith, which means what? Declared not guilty and fully righteous. Thank you. Fully righteous. So not only are you declared not guilty, through faith in Christ, as you sit here, as you sit at home, right now, positionally, you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Uh, Yeah, right? Because my guess is, if I were to ask you, hey, how's your week? Many of you kind of metaphorically would say, oh, man, my clothes are kind of stained. Right? How many of us, you know your stuff, you know where you blew it, you know, it's kind of like, and I'm so glad that positionally, it's not an excuse for sin, but positionally, in Father's eyes, he always sees me clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You know what that is? It's not a license to sin. It, what, what should that do? It should do in me and you is well up in us greater love. Because he is continually pleased with me, you know what I want to do? Continually please him. That's the new covenant. That's the heart of the new covenant. That's why we go to Mexico. That's why we do anything. Not to earn or merit anything. It's response. It's just response. Why do you guys do that? Oh, we love the Lord. <laughs> I can't overcomplicate it. What? You mean, it's just a bunch of rules and you guys can't do that and you can't do that. No, I don't want to. I, I choose not to do certain things because I don't want to displease Father. Not that I'm scared of the, the, the ruler and the prince being called to the principal's office. It's just, he loves me so much. I love him so much. I just want to live a life that just honors and pleases him. How many of you parents would just love to hear that from your kids one day? <laughs> Mom and dad, I just love you so much. I just want to live a life that just honors you. I'm going to do my chores, not because I have to. I just, I just want to. I just, I, just, I just want to bless you, father and mother, you who clothe me, you who feed me, right? You who give me the keys to the car. May my life be a blessing unto you. You know, how many of you parents, you'd like follow her and faint, right? You'd be like, What? That's kind of like the picture that we should have. That's the, that's the new covenant. When you come and you are born again, you are regenerated. You are given a new heart. You're born again into the family of God. So you want to do the things that please God. And then he gives you the power through the Holy Spirit to do it. Amen? Now, we don't do it perfectly and we're in process, but that's the heart of it. Okay? So the Apostle Paul, he has this radical transformation that we, that we saw. And then this week, we're going to... Uh, kind of continue this, this theme because last week in verse 7 he was talking about, well, this is what happened in the past. This is how I came to salvation. This is how I understood the profit and loss uh, accounting for that. But now 
in verse 8 and, and 9 and 10, he's going to say, well, this is how I'm doing it today. This is how that is carried forward. And I was thinking of this uh, on Friday, yeah, just a couple of days ago, I had the opportunity to go down to uh, USC and uh, celebrate, and my son walked in his graduation ceremony. And if you've ever been to a, a high school or a college graduation, you know you got to get there like early, right? Early. So, you know, the first, the first ceremony was in their big quad, and we got there early enough. We still didn't get seats, but we got there early enough to have a view. And I was looking around, and, you know, the graduates are all lining up, and they got their, their robes, and they got their sashes, and some of them have, like, magna cum laude, and, right, they got the awards, right? And, and I was sitting there, and I'm looking at that, and I'm like, you know, and I don't know if this is, is, this is like me as a believer slash I can never turn off the pastor hat. So I'm like, how would the Apostle Paul look at this? Right? Because he would have been the valedictorian of the entire school. He was the valedictorian. And I'm sitting there like, okay, so, you know, all these awards. And one, this is not an anti-achievement thing because we should use our gifts and talents to the utmost. Amen? God needs his people in the highest echelons of government and, and corporations and everything to influence people for the kingdom. Okay, so you should maximize your gifts, your talents, your resources, everything, right? You should be excellent for the Lord. And yet we're going to see the challenge with that is maintaining the right heart. Because there was a lot of kids there on Sunday who had worked very hard to, and achieved a lot. And I was, looking, I was thinking of that in light of what we're about to read, right? I'm in a sea of accomplishment, a sea of success, a sea of, of accolades and credentials, because some of them are going off to the corporate world and law school and med school, right? And so I, I was thinking of all of that, trying to process it in light of this message. And then Philippians 3, 7 through 9 says this. So, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, verse 8 and forward, he, he brings us to present tense and, and wants to share with us how he's processing current successes and everything, okay? He says, indeed, I count, this is present tense, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, what we just talked about. Now, the New Living Translation for verse 7 and 8 says this, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ, right? In the NET, it says this, but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung that I may gain Christ. I mean, he's not mincing words here. This is pretty graphic. And I, was, I knew this passage was coming up, and so I'm there, and I'm looking at all this, you know, it's wonderful, the campus is beautiful, everyone's dressed up, all these sashes and robes, and they're calling names and everything, and I'm like, how do you get to the place of considering a USC diploma dung and garbage? Think about that. Think about for a moment right now, what do you value? Because right now, for a lot of those kids, that's what they value. They worked very hard, four years, five years. They worked very hard to achieve that. That's valuable to them. It's worth something. What's valuable and worth something to you right now? Who? What relationship? What thing do you own? What do you value right now that's on the top of your value list? And then the apostle Paul says, it's garbage. It's dung. How do you get to that place? That's a heart issue. It's a real heart issue. And the challenging thing I was, I was uh, sharing with the, with the leadership team is we live in a very comfortable materialistic culture where it's private property 
And I worked hard for this. I own this. It's mine. We learned that for how old? You don't even have to teach a kid. Little Isaiah might even say mine before he says mama. I don't know, you know, right? It's mine. It's right? And so we have this culture that we, 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 we value material things, and then we even value people. And into that, in verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, hey, do you value Christ and knowing and gaining Christ so much that in comparison, anything right now materially, anything on this planet, you would consider to be garbage and excrement? That's... That's weighty. That's weighty. Because the question is, really a hard issue is, how valuable is knowing and gaining Christ to you? How valuable is that? Right? Because he says, the word he says knowing, it's gnosko, which means it's not knowing about, it's not head knowledge, it's personal, it's experiential. Okay, so he, at the top of his value list is knowing, personally experiencing, having intimate knowledge of Jesus and a personal relationship in the new covenant, okay? Warren Wiersbe describes it this way. Knowing Christ means much more than knowledge about Christ because Paul had that kind of historical information before he was saved. To know Christ means to have a personal relationship with him through faith. You and I know about many people, even people who lived centuries ago, but we know personally very few Christianity is Christ. Salvation is knowing him in a personal way. So there's two questions. Do you? And then the follow-up question is, if you do, how much do you value that? What's that worth to you? And then even a third question is, where does that land on the value and worth framework of your life? Right? And then he says he wants to gain Christ. Now, that is not earning salvation, okay, that's, that word can throw us off, right? Weist says this, when he says that I may gain Christ, he says that I may gain, gain Christ does not refer to Paul's acquisition of Christ as Savior, but to Paul's appropriating into his life as a Christian the perfection, the graces, the fragrance of the person of Christ. So if I say I want to know Christ, I want to gain Christ, what you're saying is I want him to be everything. I want Christ to be my all in all. I just, I just everything in my life, I want it to just come out of my personal experiential relationship with Jesus every day, 24-7. Amen? That's what he's talking about. I want to know Jesus like that. that. That to me is of infinite, surpassing value and worth, right? And so he has this, you know, I was thinking, okay, when he says I count, that's a, that's a mathematical term where you ponder a math problem. And so I, I thought, well, you know, what he's kind of saying, right, all of Paul's things, right, we have that, all of Paul's things, he says, are less than knowing and gaining Christ, right? Kind of his math, he's like pondering that. And then what's even more crazy, right, is, 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 is we're asking that question. So if I were to ask you, say, all of my things, right, go ahead. So all of my things, and then I, I just put in parentheses, for you to pick, greater than knowing, equal, or less than? That's a values question. That's a values question. And I was, I was talking to my wife about this message, and I said, man, you know, on Sundays, I always go up there, and I'm like, Lord, you got to do what only you can do. But sometimes there's messages that I know are going to kind of, what I call, be zingers, and kind of really tough. And this is one of those, because every person here and every person at home and whenever you're going to listen to this, you have a unique value worth structure. I don't know what you value most on this planet or in your life, because it could be radically different than what I do. And we're talking about all of our things being so far less of value than knowing Christ that in comparison, they would be considered dung or excrement. Whew. That's heavy. And, and I was like, Lord, you're going to have to, 
You're going to have to lovingly speak the truth here. Because, again, a lot of this goes into our culture where we have worked very hard to earn and purchase things of value. And to even release those things or people of value to Jesus, that's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. That's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit. Because only he knows what you're holding on to. And, and, you know, some things you'll be like, oh, yeah, take it. Other things it's going to be like. You're going to be prying your fingers apart, right? And so I've been praying, right? He counts all things as loss. Guy King says this, all financial gain, all material gain, all physical gain, all intellectual gain, all moral gain, all religious gain, all these are no gains at all compared with the great gain. So, so here's the thing, you know, earlier I was talking about how we're, we, we get into this incredibly rapid pace of living. And we just sort of take things in and we're just going here, there, here, there. When was the last time you actually sat down and said, hmm, what do I value in my life? What, what, what is really worth something to me because again most of us are just swept up in the busyness of life and career and education and paying the bills and you know putting food on the table da, da, da. when was the last time you literally as a as an individual and then maybe even as a couple then maybe even as a family just sat down and said what do we value most what is our great gain because see you have the freedom and the opportunity to determine that amen you can determine what is the ultimate value in your life? And hopefully it's Christ. It's gaining Christ. But I get it. Over time, it's, what's the ultimate value? Promotion. What's the ultimate value? You know, getting a certain level of savings. Buying a house is the ultimate value. Buying the car, that's worth it to me, right? Relationship, getting married, getting a boyfriend. You know, that's, I don't know what it is. But when was the last time, just in a broad sense, you said, what do I value? What is the thing of ultimate worth to me? Because he's painting this incredibly, incredibly challenging picture of comparison. When he says rubbish, it's the word scubalon, right? And John Eady says this, scubalon expresses not only the utter insignificance, which the Apostle Paul now attached to the grounds of his former trust, but the aversion with which he regarded them, especially when placed in comparison with Christ. So here's a crazy mathematical equation. He says, basically he says, all of Paul's things equal dung and garbage. That, that's weighty. See, for us in 2022, United States, even with all of our challenges, we are still very prosperous. And many of us, Mark can attest to the living conditions that they just experienced for a week down in Ensenada. We're kings and queens here. We live in mansions. Our, our, our vats are overflowing, right? And so into that, the apostle Paul says, well, what do you, in comparison to Christ, where do you value that? How, what does that look? What does that look like to you, right? J. Vernon McGee says, Paul says that since the moment of his conversion, he lives for Christ. He has suffered the loss of all things. Jesus Christ is uppermost in his thinking. The things that he used to consider most precious, he now considers to be dung. That is strong language. He says he flushes his religion down the drain. He flushes away all the things he used to trust. Now he trusts the Lord Jesus and him only for his salvation. I remember hearing Dr. Carroll say, when I was converted, I lost my religion. A great many people need to lose their religion and find Jesus Christ, as Paul did. He was so revolutionized that what had been his prized possession is now relegated to the garbage can. Question, again, with all sensitivity, what's your prized possession? And how does it line up with gaining and knowing Christ? That's, whew. you want to, uh, I'll share, you know, I have a, um, I have a, a Christmas card. We took a family photo and I have a Christmas card with all my kids and the in-law, son-in-laws, right? 
and my little grandbaby. So if you say, you know, and I, and I use it to pray for them every, every morning, just go down the list and say, hey, what's your prized possession? I'd probably, lift, one of the things I would lift up is everybody on this card. And so I'm pondering that, this truth. I'm like, Lord, do I prize them more than you, Jesus? Are they of more value to me? Are they of more worth to me than knowing you, Jesus? That's heavy. That's weighty. Right? Because if you think about it, even Jesus makes this radical comparison about those and loving him. Right? Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Ily, put that up and keep that up. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. All right? Is he literally telling us to hate our family members? Is he talking about self-loathing, like you should look in the mirror and go, I hate you. I really hate you. Is that what he's saying? No, what he's saying, it's a comparison. It's the same thing. He's like, if you want to be my disciple, you have to love me so much that in comparison, the love you have for anybody, any prized possession on this planet, looks like you hate them. That's what he's saying. It's the same thing that Paul is saying. Anything I count loss, in comparison, it's got to look like garbage. It's a challenge to our value system. Not only what we're, what we're holding on to, but honestly, what maybe what's more challenging is how much do we actually value Christ? Have we allowed the things of the world to become distractions? Have we allowed the things of the world to really inundate our value system to where, you know, quite frankly, even as believers, we don't even know what we truly value. And here's the challenging part as well. It's not evil, wicked, sinful things. The hard part about this passage is that what I value and what you prize, for the most part, I'm going to guess, are good and positive things. Your family, security, providing financially, a roof over your head, a career, a good education. Okay, so it's not like these evil, wicked things, but what it is, it's like, remember the parable of the sower when he throws it on the thorns and it says it chokes out the things of the world, choke out the word? A lot of us are just choked out. You have so many things competing for the number one value. What is the prized possession? Who or what right now holds the number one spot of worth and value in your life. Because the apostle Paul says, you know what? It's knowing and gaining Christ. And I am so committed to that. I am so purpose driven to know him and gain and gain him. Let him be my all in all. That everything else on this planet is like garbage. Whew. Now, to let you off the hook, this takes a while. <laughs> Sanctification is progressive. Okay, this is Paul writing years after he got saved. Okay, so he got saved. And he said, whoa, I can't get saved by works. Okay, I count it all lost. You know, woohoo, Jesus in the gain column, saved by grace through faith. Amen. Now, he's been in sanctification. So he's writing as one who's been on the journey to get to this place of Christ is number one value. Everything else is like garbage. It's sanctification. Amen. And so this message today might just be timely for many of you because maybe you've just become so burdened and so maybe even confused and so discouraged, maybe depressed, maybe just you've lost your joy. Why? Because you've drifted away from the number one value. See, when Jesus, you put him up there and he's your prized possession and you filter everything from there down, everything starts to click and make sense. But when Jesus is just thrown in the mix, 
And he now just becomes another thing. I just got to get to church. I just need to read my Bible. And it's just another thing that's good. One of your many values. I value the Bible. I value church. I value, but it's not the. Then the things of your walk get lost in the things of the world. But if you'll say, no, wait, Jesus, knowing and gaining Christ is the ultimate value. That's the ultimate, my prized possession. You know what you'll start to do? reprioritize your life. You'll start to say yes to things and you'll start to say no to things because you are pursuing Jesus. Amen? But many in the church, Jesus just got lumped in with all the other good values and we're trying to be a good Christian, but we're just exhausted. We're just exhausted. Now, how do you kind of get there? You got to take time out. Number one, Take time and say, what do I really value? Maybe do a value survey in your life. What are my prized possessions? Could be people, could be a thing. I don't know. Do a survey. What do you really value? You know, if Jesus said, hey, Barry, what you got there? Oh, nothing, Lord. Hey, Barry, how about you give me that? Remember the rich young ruler? Yeah. What'd you say, pizza? Oh, it'd be tough. I thought you said pizza. I'm like, Barry, give up the pizza, bro. <laughs> it would be tough, right? Remember the rich young ruler? Hey, Jesus, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. I have, right? He completely m- messed up. Jesus was like, come on, man. You missed the whole point. You're not perfect. He says, okay, you want to follow me? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. What does the rich young ruler do? Ah, peace out. Why? And Jesus knew he had many possessions. That was the thing behind his back, right? That's what he valued most. Jesus knew his heart. He says, hey, that thing, that money, those possessions, give it to me. Prize me more than that. Rich young ruler walked away. He couldn't. Question, what's behind your back? What, what is it? That, mm, Okay, Barry, we know it's not pizza, but you don't have to say what it is. But it would be tough. His Bronco, thank you. That's a nice car, by the way. Okay, thank you. It would be tough, right? Ford Bronco. Now, before any of you go, how could you? You got your thing. Don't even, don't even like to get all hoity-toity on Barry. Oh, how could he be so material? And he sits in the front row like he's all holy. <laughs> Some of you, it's your Ford Pinto you can't give up. You know what I mean? Now, nah, I really dated myself, huh? Pinto, like Pinto? What's a Pinto, right? So what's your thing? What is it that, that for you to be able to say, Barry, right? Jesus? I prize you so much that my four Broncos like garbage to me. That's a place to get to, right? I, I, I remember, it was, it was so interesting. And I look back, sometimes you look back and like, Lord, thank you for putting people in my life that I didn't understand it. But I wasn't even saved and I would go to this Bible study and eventually got saved through the people in this Bible study. And I remember this. I remember going to the house, beautiful couple, and I remember going there, and I, you know, you're trying to make small talk, and you're talking about their house. And I remember this. I'll never forget what he said. It's not my house. It's the Lord's house. That's why they opened it up. That's why they used it for the God's. It's, it's not our house. It's God's house. It's God's car. God wants to use, It's God's car. They were like this. I didn't really understand what they meant back then. I was just like, okay, okay. I didn't know. I was, a, I was a non-believer and I was a young believer. I didn't know what it meant to get to the place where the house wasn't their prized possession, but they literally did this and say, it's the Lord's house. It's his house. It's not ours. We're just stewards of it. Literally, they said, we're just stewards of it. I didn't even know what a steward was. You see their heart? And so, you know, we have to get back and we just kind of have to have these moments of reflection. Of reflection. And I love this, this parable in Matthew 13. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owed, owned to get enough money to buy the field. 
And again, the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. What, do you, what is he talking about here? He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, the things of God are of such value that you're willing to give up anything. Cost doesn't matter. You joyfully give it up, right? If I would have said, hey, that field across the street, something buried over there. Something changed your life, right? Treasures over there. Some of you are like, I'm going to go buy it. You're going to go sell everything. You're going to go buy that joyfully, excited. You're not even going to care how much it costs because what's there is of more value than whatever. That's what we're talking about is getting to the place in your relationship with Jesus where he is the prized possession he is the ultimate value, and you're willing just to hold it all like this and let it all go for kingdom purposes. Amen? Right? Tony Evans about this parable says this, Discoverers are willing to give up everything they possess in order to gain their prizes because they recognize their incalculable value. Similarly, men and women who discover and recognize the worth of living life under the rule of God will sacrifice anything of earthly value for participation in his kingdom. Life holds no greater treasure. Again, our challenge, especially living in our culture, is we're just surrounded with a whole bunch of worldly treasures. And that's maybe, the, the, maybe just for many here, maybe at home, just taking time to reassess your treasure chest. What's in there? What are you holding on to? Maybe prizing more than Jesus and knowing Jesus. Okay? Matthew 6, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eats them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. Just do an inventory. Where are your treasures? Where are your treasures? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. We, we read that, but we still try to do it. We still try to do that. We think that we can lump Jesus and our relationship with Jesus and our pursuit of Jesus in with everything else we're trying to pursue. It's a competition for your love. It's a competition for your time, your energies, your focus, your money, your resources. That's what maybe some in the church, you've become so burdened because maybe you've lost your first love. You lost your first love. Remember the church in Ephesus, right? They were a really good church. They would be called the suffering, serving, and, you know, sacrificial church. They were doing church really well. And yet Jesus says, you know what? I have this against you. You left your first love. And I think some of us, even in the church, we kind of, our relationship with the Lord slides away from knowing personal intimate knowledge into just right behaviors. We just slide into being good moral Christians, trying to do more right than wrong, but we're not loving him anymore. We're not prizing him anymore. And as soon as we kind of slide into that area, then we kind of excuse getting caught up with the things of the world, and we just lose the passion. We just lose the passion. It can even happen in the church, so I want to I really encourage you. It's not evil, wicked things. I remember when, when uh, we had first got married, I think we had our first kid, and I was doing youth ministry in San Diego. And again, I was going to conquer San Diego for Jesus, right? And I was going to, you know, just serve, 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 serve. And, you know, I think we were married a couple years, and then we had the first child. And I was out there spending hours and hours at the, doing church stuff, kingdom stuff. And I remember one time I came home after a youth event. I think we, we did something big. And we had to have a talk because she wasn't happy because I had lost perspective. I had prized serving God in ministry over God. And because my values got flipped, my priorities got flipped, and now the things of the church were more important than the things at home because I wasn't seeking him first, because I valued something else, now I was determining my value system and the use of my resource and everything, right? 
And she was in a hard spot because her husband is a pastor at one of the larger churches in San Diego, so, and he's doing God's work. So how can she complain that I'm not there for her and the kids, right? So she's in a spot, but finally we came to this breaking point, and she spoke, and we had to have this heart-to-heart conversation. And I had to kind of admit that I was prizing ministry more than Jesus. And because I flipped my values, like I said, my priorities got flipped and I lost sight of what he wanted me to value. See, if I value and prize Jesus, you know what I'll do first? I'll say, Jesus, what do you want me to value and prize? And then I take my marching orders from him. And I say yes and no to things in my life because I'm desiring to please him and prize him. Amen? But when I flip it and I start going after my prized possessions, well, you know, then it's just about me again. And then I'll suffer the consequences. And and that's what happens. We want to prize Jesus so much that we just willingly alter our priorities and and our everything use, right? How many of you, maybe when you're in high school or maybe older, how many of you ever had this group of friends you grew up with, hung out with, spent a lot of time with, but then you or one of them got a boyfriend or a girlfriend and didn't want to hang out with the group anymore? Anyone? Right? I mean, I remember that, right? I had my boys growing up in high school. I got a girlfriend, and the boys were like, hey, you want to go to whatever we would do? I'm like, nah, man, can't make it. Oh, come on. Take off the ball and chain, bro. You know what I mean? They're like, come on. What do you mean you don't want to, right? And they would give me a hard time. I said, sorry, man, I'm going to go to movies. I get going out on a date, man, you know? And then after a while, I remember they just stopped asking. They got all bent, like, oh, we're not going to ask you anymore because we know the answer is no, right? What was I doing? Something in my life I prized and valued, and it changed my priorities, okay? I still liked them. We hung out when we could, and it was no disrespect to them, but I was valuing and prizing spending time with someone more than them. You see what I'm saying? And so what happens is when you come back to prizing and loving Jesus as the ultimate prize, your values and everything change around you. That's what happens. That's new covenant relationship. And I'll encourage you, parents, your kids are watching what you value. Your kids are watching what you prize. They see you when we don't. Right? And, and that was one of the challenges I had with the five kids in a PK, right? Pastor kid home, trying to want them, desiring, trying not to tie their Christianity to dad being a pastor and letting them be normal teenagers in the Ojai Valley and go to Nordoff. And, and I'll never forget, you know, they, every once in a while they send me, you know, they give me the Father's Day card and da, da, da. And, and uh, I forget which one it was, just wrote a nice card and said, hey, you know, I just want to thank you for just being an example of what a follower of Jesus was while we were growing up. And they saw the stuff at home, eh? They saw dad at my not best. And so, um, you know, and they saw me have to apologize and do all clean up the mess. You know, they saw me just kind of, again, not be very nice. And so, um, but in the end, you know what stuck out to them was, Dad was just a normal guy trying to follow Jesus. He wasn't some hoity-patoity pastor at the well. And, and I, I really appreciate that because I, I, what I wanted them to do, what my, my prayer was for my kids was just see Dad as someone who just was doing his best to love Jesus. And serving in the church isn't above that. It's not my identity. It's not where I get my self-worth. It's what I do for a living. It's my calling. But I wanted them to see Dad just as someone who loved Jesus. Okay, so that's our testimony. It's where we live. People are watching us. In fact, in in Philippians 1.21, the Apostle Paul says it this way, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How would you fill that in? For me to live is, and I'll leave the blank for you to fill in because that blank will be your prized possession. So it's your value. For me to live is personal peace, affluence, security, 401k, promotion, career, home ownership, 
Fill it in. For me to live is what? Because that's going to help you determine what your value system is, what you're holding on to. Okay? That's, that's what Paul is saying. He's like, hey, I want you. I'm encouraging you with all the love in my heart. Come back to just making Jesus. For me to live is Christ. Amen? There's a simplicity to that, guys. There's a simplicity and a freedom. Because for me to live as Christ, I spend time with him in the morning, so I get my marching orders for him for the day. And I'm just living for Christ, not my agenda, okay? Stephen Cole says this, to live Christ means to live in union with Christ, so that he becomes my all in all. The concept of being in Christ was vital to Paul's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. The believer is in union with Christ. While that is our true standing before God, we must grow in our experience of the reality of that standing so that in our daily lives, we will live in fellowship with Christ, communing with him and depending on him for everything. So how do we do that? Well, we have to take an inventory. Now, the title of the sermon is, Is Jesus Your MVP? Is Jesus Your Most Valuable Person? I don't know. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an honest discussion. It's an honest question to, to ask yourself and maybe discuss with some people, right? And you're like, well, what can I do practically? How do I, how do I if I see that it's off, this is where time in the, with the Lord, time in the word, prayer, worship, this is valuable. But I want to encourage you, if you're recognizing that Jesus isn't necessarily your MVP this morning, here's what I really want to encourage you to do, and it might take some courage. Find a brother or sister in the Lord to come alongside you and encourage you in this area. Not to wag a finger, but to be there. Just encourage you through this. And to be a role model. They might not have it all together, but it's good to be around other people who, are, who Jesus is their MVP. Right? I, I had that privilege growing up in the ranks of ministry to be around pastors and other people, promise keepers, speakers, and all that. And man, I'll tell you, there is, some, there is some weight to being around the right people as a believer. And so if you're struggling with, oh, I don't know, man, I, I, I'm just realizing Jesus isn't my prized possession, find some people around you that he is and can pray with you and you can be encouraged. Like, Barry, thank you. Can I borrow your Bronco? No, just kidding. <laughs> I'm just helping you to let it go. I just want to help you to let go of the Bronco. That would be like the church vehicle. Donated by Barry. Yeah, the well. Next Mexico trip, we're in the Bronco. Thank you, Barry. Just want to help you, bro. Just want to help you. It's weighty, and I know these messages are like, Man, that was kind of heavy. Come on. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Father loves us. Amen? And he knows what kind of yahoos we are too and how easily we get caught up in the things of the world. He knows. What he wants you to do is just love him. Just prize Jesus. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, but I do know in all the interactions I've had over the years and even now what's going on in people's lives, a lot of it is just we are inundated with the stuff of the world and the church needs to say, time out, I'm just about Jesus. That isn't a bury my head in the sand thing. It means I'm going to seek him first. I'm going to love him with all my heart and I am just going to live a life of love, right? Isn't it crazy? Out of 600 commandments and everything, they say, hey, Jesus, what's the number one commandment? Love God. And number two, love others. How many of you would just like to do that? And if you're a parent, that's what your kids need to see. Mom and dad just love Jesus. And mom and dad just loved others. Did they do it perfectly? No. But in the end, I say, hey, tell me, what, what, did, your, what did your parents value most growing up? Wouldn't you love to hear them say, oh, my parents just valued Jesus. My parents just valued the Lord. Well, how do you know? I don't know. Church, we went to church and we went, they did things. It just manifested. See, our, what we value, what we prize, honestly, our life gives it away. How you spend your time, how you spend your money, what you're looking at on your phone. How you're not, it's all a reflection of what we prize and our priorities, okay? If you want to know, if you want to do the inventory, 
think back the last seven days and go, where was your time? Where was your phone use? What was your computer use? Where did you? God will show you. God will show you. Okay. And so I just want to encourage us today. I know I was like, Lord, man, okay. We're going we're gonna to preach the word. And together. Okay, everyone say together. Together. We are going to grow in our sanctification. Together we are going to take baby steps to prizing Jesus. <laughs> so much that together we can all look back in areas of our life like, I love Jesus so much. Ah, pff, it's just like garbage, man. I can't believe that I was so, you ever have one of those? I can't believe I spent so much time on the internet. <laughs> You're like, what was I doing, right? Because your values changed. And so together, we will learn to prize Jesus, to want to know and gain him, make him our all in all. Just love him and we'll let him do the rest. Amen? So Father, thank you for our time. And as we prepare for communion, I just think about what communion signifies on this day. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Father, I pray that as we hold these communion cups, you would speak to our heart about how valuable and prized we are to you. It's not just a tradition we do here. Holding this cup tells me, tells us, you prized us, you valued us so much that Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's how much you prized us. That's how valuable we are to you, Father. That's how much you long for us to have a relationship with you that you would send Jesus to be crucified as the Lamb of God for our sins. So we are humbled by that. And then Jesus, we're humbled that, that you prized us, you valued us, so much in the garden, you said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You had this desire to please your father. You had this desire to honor him in obedience. And so, Father, collectively this morning, we spend just a moment and ask you to reveal the things in our life that are competing for top spot in what we value, what we consider of ultimate worth on this planet. And if we've been consumed with the things of the world, we confess it right now. We ask for your forgiveness. If there are idols, if there are things we're just tightly clenched in our fist right now, we, we confess it and ask you to change our hearts. Father, we thank you for loving us first. And in this time of communion now, we do it in remembrance of you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you. And we take this communion in remembrance of you. So, announcement-wise today, uh, our first announcement is actually a video. So, here we go. is an epidemic sweeping across our nation's churches. That is the shrinking population of their volunteers. Alarming to say the least. To investigate the impact, we set up our cameras, removed all the volunteers, and followed a man we'll call Pete as he attended a local worship service without any volunteers. It started out like any other Sunday. Pete arrived five minutes late, as he always does. He assumed a greeter would open the door. He assumed wrong. Have you ever had church coffee that's been sitting around for a week? Well, Pete has. Deciding life was about more than just coffee, Pete finally answered the call to the mission field. But there was nobody picking up on the other end. To further complicate matters, Pete had to stoop down and get his own bulletin. Oh. Ah. 
He even had to hold and comfort a tiny human that he didn't understand. In fact, Pete didn't understand any of it. So, how can we as a church body keep this from happening? Seems there's a very simple fix. It takes a little bit of time and a little bit of effort. So won't you do it for your church? Do it for yourself. Wait! God bless him. Volunteer for Pete's sake. <laughs> for Pete's sake. Huh? So, uh, obviously lighthearted, uh, but true, you know, I mean, seriously, you know, just being what Richie talked about uh, with this child dedication, we are a family. That's who we are. That's what we do here. We are God's family, and he's called us to be here physically on this campus, and to do this, to do this well, to do this in a way that is honoring to God, and in a way that it serves every single person sitting in this room. It takes all of us, you know, and so seriously, if you are currently volunteering, which so many of you do. Thank you. Thank you for what you do. And if you aren't volunteering, even if you're brand new, we would love to have you just help out a little bit. I mean, you saw some uh, humorous ways that you could do it. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed at the, the mission booth, did you see where they were going? Yeah, you know, so I'm head of missions. So uh, if you're interested in missions, let me know. And I'm working, I'm working, I, I I duly noted, you know, so we're kind of thinking about that. So, no, seriously, with kids, with, uh, you know, uh, refreshments, with cleaning, with um, young people, with missions, all sorts of things to do. So please take that seriously. You can, you know, find out in the bulletin, talk to any of the elders, talk to anybody who is a current volunteer. Well, who heads your thing up so you would know who to talk to and that kind of stuff. So please uh, give that some consideration. Just want to mention uh, Thelma's memorial is coming up. It's going to be on May 28th at 4 p.m. Um, you know, most everybody in this room knew Thelma and loved Thelma. And so we really encourage you to come again as a family, celebrate her life and the fact that she is in the best place ever right now. So, um, And lastly, uh, uh, many of you may know that there were 19 of us that went to Mexico this last week. Uh, we went down on Sunday, we built a home on Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday, we had a number of really cool opportunities to just serve in the Ensenada community as well. Um, uh, Thursday, Friday, we built a second home. Um, we uh, actually finished early, the earliest, uh, at least the, the uh, YWAM staffer that was with us said he had never seen a house built as fast as the second house that we built. Uh, we were done by lunch on day two, and again then had some opportunities in the afternoon to go uh, take all the gift bags that many of you had contributed to and uh, give them at a woman's shelter that shelters women and children who are just in need of that type of services and had a wonderful trip. Um, it was just blessed in every way. A couple of three weeks from now, we'll give you a lot more information about it, but I wanted to say thank you. And the other thing I want to mention is that there were three churches that were represented, ourselves, the Baptist Church, our friends down the street, and the Orchard in Virginia. And this has never happened before. We uh, raised between the three churches quite a bit more money than we needed for the two homes. And so praise the Lord for that. That is, um, so we'll have a down payment towards the next time that we go. That money will just stay on, on record, you know, and help us already towards our goal next time. So thank you for that. 